I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Last month, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted Enzavant both breakthrough therapy designation and the newly established regenerative medicine advanced therapy designation for its investigational cell therapy to treat complete DeGeorge syndrome, a rare and fatal disease. Enzavant is the first company to win both designations and only the second to win the regenerative medicine advanced therapy designation established through the 21st Century Cures Act. The designations provide for accelerated review pathways and special access to developmental guidance from the FDA. We spoke to Alvin Shee, CEO of Enzvent, and Luis Markert, the Duke University immunologist who has been pioneering the therapy about complete DeGeorge syndrome, the innovative approach they're using to treat it, and the path forward for the therapy. As a matter of disclosure, Shee is co-chair of Global Gene's Medical and Scientific Advisory Board. Alvin, Luis, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Let's start with DeGeorge syndrome. What is it? How rare is it? And how does it manifest itself? So DeGeorge syndrome is a clinical condition, a congenital problem, where babies are born and have defects in three different organs. One is the heart, and the baby might need heart surgery. Another one is the a, a gland called the parathyroid that's located in the neck and regulates calcium in the baby. And if the parathyroid isn't working right, the baby might have seizures. And the third organ is the one we work with, which is the thymus. And the thymus is where T cells develop, and those are white blood cells that fight infection. And most children with DeGeorge syndrome have some thymus, and they may need heart surgery or to be on calcium, but they do quite well with respect to their immune system. But 1% of children with the George don't have any thymus at all. And those children uh, will die from infection, usually in the first year, and if not in the first year, by by two years of age. Go ahead. the, The George syndrome itself is, probably in about one in every 2,000 children born, but the complete DeGeorge is going to be about a hundredfold less frequent. So maybe one in every close to 100,000 children, something like that. Are are there any therapies available today? Well, the therapy that we have is called thymus transplantation, and where some leftover thymus from a baby having heart surgery, and actually during heart surgery, sometimes, well, the thymus, I should say, sits on top of the heart, and it can be as big as the heart in a little baby. And to do the heart surgery, sometimes the surgeon will have to remove part of the thymus to do the surgery and save that baby's life. And we can use the discarded thymus to save the life of another baby. Most of the the rare disease companies that are targeting rare diseases are, are going after monogenic diseases, ones that involve a, a single gene. 
George syndrome involves defects to multiple genes. How does that affect the therapeutic strategy, and does that complicate the pursuit of a treatment? Well, actually, uh, there are. Uh, it's some of it may not involve genes at all, as far as we can tell. There are about thirty percent of the children. That's three out of ten have a defect on chromosome 22, where there's a piece of that chromosome missing. Uh, then there's about uh, maybe 40% of children have a condition called CHARGE that usually has a genetic defect. Um, and CHARGE, in both of these, it's about 1% of the children in that grouping will, will have no thymus. And then the two other groups, uh, one of them is infant of diabetic mother. Now, I'm actually not sure that the diabetes in the mother really has anything to do with it. Maybe it's just there's so many women who have diabetes during pregnancy or diabetes in general that there are, that some of the babies fall into that category. And then there's, a, and they don't have any genetic defects that we can find and neither do the rest of them. So there's about 30% that we can't find any genetic defects in. Um, yeah. Danny, you raise a good point. It certainly does make it more complex when you're not looking at a monogenic disorder. Um, the point I would raise here is that we're trying to treat the patient and not just a, a single genetic condition. And in this case, we're treating the underlying immunodeficiency that's caused by a lack of thymus at birth in these complete to George patients. Uh, and it just so happens that this is one of the, the more problematic elements of complete to George syndrome. It's the main reason that, that patients uh, become early in life. Well, well let, let's talk about the therapeutic strategy you're taking. You're developing a, a treatment known as RV2, I'm sorry, RVT802. This is a, a treatment that involves harvesting, culturing, and, and applying thymic tissue for patients with complete DeGeorge syndrome, uh, about 1% of the, the total DeGeorge population. What's the process of obtaining preparing and applying this tissue, and is this expected to be a, a one-time administration therapy that corrects the problem? Well, I'll start with the last question, and the answer is yes. This is a one-time therapy that should last a very long time. Our oldest patient is 23 years old, so I can't, you know, I, I have to wait for these patients to grow older. The uh, median age of our patients is over 10 years. And so one time is able to give them T cells. So how we do a thymus transplant and how we obtain the thymus is uh, partly what I was just mentioning. When or when some thymus comes out during heart surgery, if, if some of it has to come out for the surgeon to do the surgery in a little infant under nine months of age, that thymus is put in a sterile container and uh, we are called uh, that that thymus is available. And we, when we have a patient who needs a transplant, we'll have already obtained consent from the donor family that if any thymus comes out, that we would be able to use it to help another child. Uh, so we take that thymus back to the laboratory and slice it uh, and have it be uh, in thin section so it can stay alive for the next two to three weeks which is when we'll do the transplant. Uh, we have to uh, examine the donor baby and the mother of the donor baby to be sure they don't have any bad infections that could be spread to the recipient 
uh, infant with the George. Um, and we will have that all done by two to three weeks and then can put the thymus into the recipient. And I should say, the uh, doing a thymus transplant is rather like planting tulips. Uh, one makes, we put the thymus, the pieces of thymus in the muscle in the thigh. So we make an incision with a cut in the thigh through the skin down to the surface of the muscle. And we spread the, the skin to either side and then poke holes or little make little pockets in the muscle, just as if you're planting tulips. Uh, into the dirt of a garden. So you put, we may put 20 little pieces or 30 pieces of thymus into the thigh muscle and we'll just sew up the top, the surgeon will, and then close the skin. And then there's thymus there in the muscle. And the, the thymus is like a schoolhouse. And so we have lots of little schools in that muscle. And just as if you have a ball field, the players will come. If you have a schoolhouse, an empty schoolhouse, the students will come. And in the human situation, that's the stem cells in the bone marrow will be circulating in the blood, trying to find the schoolhouse. They want to make T cells. And they go in there, study for a semester, about four months or so, and learn how to become a T cell and then come out and defend the baby against infection. Does the fact that you're dealing with an immunocompromised patient prevent the, the risk of graft-versus-host disease? Well, graft-versus-host disease is when the graft attacks the baby. So you're, I think you may be thinking about um, a re rejection of the graft. So yes. the baby can't reject the graft because the baby has no T-cells. It's T-cells that reject all the grafts. If you have a kidney transplant or a heart transplant, the T cells are a very major part of rejecting an organ. And so these babies uh, normally cannot reject the organ. And is the, the availability of the therapeutic limited by the amount of thymus you can get donated? Or is this something you can culture in, in a lab? Yeah. Well, for the numbers of babies that we are working with, there is not, uh, it's not limiting. Uh, of course, there are potentially other indications, but for right now, the thymus is not limiting. You, you mentioned some track record with patients from a clinical point of view. What do we know about the, the efficacy of the treatment? Well, the treatment leads to the development of educated T-cells in these babies. That's because the T-cells go through the schoolhouse. So the children that would, uh, before the transplant, die very quickly from infections uh, such as viruses or uh, in one virus many people know about is Epstein-Barr virus, which causes mononucleosis, the kissing disease. Well, all of, most of us uh, are exposed to that virus at some point. If you don't have T-cells, you will die from it. And we have at least, of um, probably at least a quarter of our patients post-transplant or after transplant have been around people with EBV and have gotten it and had no problem. So it's just miraculous because they would have just died from this infection if they had not had that thymus. Is this approach unique to DeGeorge or are there other illnesses where the thymus is implicated that this might have ramifications for? Well, there certainly are other conditions in which the thymus is a problem. And so 
we're we're starting with this particular condition, but I am sure we will be doing trials with other conditions as well. And, and Alvin, may, maybe you can r- chime in here, but what's the business case for licensing this therapy? What what made it an attractive asset? Well, to be very clear, part of uh, the attraction for us was the ability to work with Louise and, and other folks here at Duke and bring this therapy to make it available for patients who need it. Uh, we believe it's transformative in nature and it's life-saving. And it's really a drug developer's dream come true to be able to work on something like this, where there is some clinical data that's already out there that suggests to us that the therapy works. Uh, we believe that uh, the therapy deserves to be uh, available for kids who need it. And we think it's something that has a pretty high probability of success. So I'd say that those are the things that made it attractive to me as a drug developer. Ed's event won both Breakthrough Therapy designation and the new Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy designation, a, a product of the recently passed 21st Century Cures Act. What does this mean for, for the company? Yeah, it, it's a real privilege to have gotten both designations, and we think we're the first company or the first program to be given both designations simultaneously. Uh, they're both very important, and they give us improved access to the FDA to work towards a more rapid approval for RBT-802. Uh, the breakthrough designation has been around a bit longer. It's been used to designate therapies that are intended to treat serious and life-threatening conditions uh, and in which there's some preliminary clinical evidence that the therapy has a benefit over the standard of care. Uh, the Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy, or RMAD as it's called, uh, has a similar criteria in, in terms of being aimed at sim- a serious or life-threatening conditions. Uh, but with the RMAT, of course, uh, it's restricted to regenerative medicine therapies, which include cell and tissue-based products. And so both designations confer the benefit of increased access and communication with the FDA and access to expedited pathways like uh, priority review and fast track. And the RMAT's so new that we just don't know exactly what to expect. We're only the second program that we know of to receive the designation. But it definitely indicates that the agency is willing to work with us uh, to develop it as efficiently as possible. What's the regulatory path forward? So the most immediate step is going to be to meet with the FDA to really determine what the exact requirements are for a biologic license application or a BLA. So once we have that discussion with the FDA, which is going to happen in the near term, we'll have a better sense of the next steps towards an approval. Followers of this industry with a, a fine-tuned ear may notice the Vant and Enzyvant. You're part of Vivek Ram- Ramaswamy's group of companies. Do, does that give you access to, to resources you can leverage or shape a commercial strategy in any way? Sure. So being part of the Royvan family puts us in a very special position. Uh, we get access to some really great resources, including a, a really talented drug development group. And since most of that group is based down here in Durham, North Carolina, it makes it even easier to collaborate with our, our friends here, too. And in terms of the commercial strategy, the commercial piece isn't really a large consideration at this point. We're just interested in making this therapy FDA approved so that it's available to patients who need it. And I believe if we keep that goal front and center, uh, we'll be able to sort out the commercial elements in due time. And is there any timetable for when that might happen? No, again, I think it's going to be dependent on our, our uh, discussions with the FDA. And so we hope to have some clarity on that in the near term. Alvin Chi, CEO of Enzavant, and Luis Market, who is the Professor of Pediatric Immunology at Duke University. Alvin, Luis, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Yes, thank you. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.